Kia ora everyone, today we have one of the countries and in fact one of the world's great professors of earth sciences on the podcast, Tim Naish of Victoria University of Wellington. His career in science has already surpassed what many might hope to achieve in multiple lifetimes. His commitment to not just scientific progress but also education earned him the New Zealand Antarctic Medal awarded to those who have made outstanding contributions to exploration, scientific research, conservation, environmental protection or knowledge of the Antarctic region. Research by Professor Naish focuses on past, present and future climate with specific emphasis on how the Antarctic ice sheets respond to climate change and influence global sea levels. Safe to say, his voice has never been so vital to hear and broadcast. Tim is up there with one of the highest calibre and respected scientists we've ever been privileged enough to host on our platform. And for that, I'd have to say on behalf of the Antarctica Unfrozen community, thank you. Please enjoy this intriguing, at times intense, but ultimately informing episode. How did you actually end up in, in the field of, of Antarctic science? That's a good question. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the first thing I did. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a relative, compared to my colleagues, I'm a relative latecomer to the Antarctic. I had a life before, a research life before Antarctica. So, you know, I did my PhD at Waikato University and I was working on sea level change and how Earth's sea level has changed in the past. And... The engine room, of course, are the polar ice sheets melting and, and freezing that cause global sea level to change. And so I'd always had a fascination in it. Um, and I could have gone to Antarctica to do my PhD uh, at Waikato because they had a really strong program. I still do. And um, I just thought, nah, what a difficult place to do research, you know? I mean, what if I miss something? I can't get back that easily. And, and so for me, even though I love the mountains and I love the outdoors, I decided not to go to Antarctica mm. for my research. Mm. And it really wasn't until, you know, a number of years later that I got the opportunity to go on a big drilling project um, that was New Zealand-led geological drilling to, to, to drill back in time and see how the ice sheet had evolved through warmer climates and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's when the penny dropped. I just realised how important. Not only, I mean, it's a cool place, don't get me wrong, and we... You know, you've been, all of us get the bug and we, you know, we want to go back. Absolutely. Um, but from a science point of view, I, I just thought, yeah, the, you know, we're only going to be able to answer some of these big global questions about what's happening to our climate by going there. And it's not easy. It, it's, it, it takes planning, money, sometimes collaborations with many countries. You have to be patient. There's a lot of politics and organisation and logistics and all of that. Um, but but the rewards are huge, and Absolutely. and so yeah, I guess that's a a potted history of you know how I got there and, and wow. couldn't leave. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think that's one thing people forget that um, you know why would sea, sea level change? You know why why how does that make sense? Well, it's because at the north and south pole of the Earth we have these massive ice caps. It's the huge freezes of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Why do these change? What what makes the actual ice level change? You know from from a from a large uh, a perspective yeah. of a huge scale of time. Why does why does sea ice change and, and sea levels? Yeah, yeah. I mean, great, great question. And it does change. It does change naturally. We know that over very long time periods. 
Um, and these are what we call the ice ages, and then the periods between the ice ages we call the interglacials, and so between glacials, right? So right now, we're, the world is in a warm period. A warming, a, a warm or a warming period? A warm, okay. you know, like it's the warmest it's been. Um, 10,000 years? 125,000 years was slightly warmer, so the last interglacial was slightly warmer. This interglacial has lasted for 10,000 years, so it's unusually long. Okay. And we actually know, because we know the processes that cause the ice ages and the warm periods, which are essentially changes in Earth's orbit around the sun. Right. Very, yeah, and they're very predictable. Right. And, and they occur every 20,000 years, 40,000 years, and 100,000 years. And they're the pacemaker of, of the ice ages. So we actually know that if humans weren't interfering at all with climate, we would be going into another ice age soon. That's right. So, so that's really what I've been interested in, is trying to understand the natural heartbeat of our planet's climate, how it works, um, how ice sheets melt and grow again, and why they do that. And that gives us gr lots of knowledge into what might happen in the future with global warming. But it also allows us to understand what's natural mm. and would have happened anyway, and what we're doing on top of that that may be changing the course of of the natural way of things. Absolutely, I think yeah. that's um, you said that really well. And just I, one thing that I don't think isn't actually talked enough about when it comes to the picture of climate change and what we traditionally associate with that that big term, climate change or, or global heating. Now, as we try to call it, yeah, um, is that it is very relative to the sun. I mean, of course, that sounds obvious, right? But mm. we're never talking about the sun and sun flares and and so, you know solar flares mm. or things like that. So. Could you maybe just quickly give a, a brief um, explanation of how the sun uh, very clearly interacts with, with these timelines of, of global temperatures? Sure. Yeah, yeah, climate change 101, right? Okay, so there are really, you know, in terms of playing around with Earth's climate, there are really only two knobs you can turn. One is the sun. You can make it brighter or dimmer. Um, and the other are the greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide is the one we hear about all the time. And but not the only one, right? Not the only one, right. So, so methane is important, nitrous oxide is important, but carbon dioxide's the big daddy. Right. It's the one that hangs around in the atmosphere the longest. So once you put it there, that's right. it's there for a thousand years. Because there's those, yep. there's those differences in the gases, right? You've got one carbon, and the main thing with carbon is the longevity. Mm. But uh, when it comes to gases like methane, et cetera, what's different about them? Well, well we call the residence time is, is very short. They just, they just don't last long as products in the atmosphere. And so for, with methane, um, you've got about five to ten year residence time. So, in fact, methane's a very powerful greenhouse gas. It's something like... 30 times, yeah, yeah something like that, yeah, yeah. 30 times Big or 40 number. times um, as powerful as CO2, but it doesn't hang around as long. Right. And so with methane, you've got to put lots of it there and keep putting it there, keep replacing it. To, what for, happens to it? When we say it, it has you know, its lifespan in the atmosphere, what happens to they, it? They break down to, to other products. And so even, even um, so, so methane will break down to carbon dioxide, right. a, a small amount of it. Yeah. Um, but, but not volumetrically very high, breaks down to water, breaks down to ozone. There's a whole bunch of products that, that um, and, and, and I'm not a, you know, a molecular chemist, but, you know, so I don't, um, no, I can't, know. Can't I know give the, the deal, yeah, I know yeah, the deal. Yeah, yeah. So don't push me too hard on this one. <laughs> but, but for CO2, for some reason, even though it will break down, just takes a lot longer. So, yeah. so you know, once it's there, and it's really the, 
the cumulative and that's amount why of, that's at the focal point or when we when we're discussing climate that's why we normally talk about there. co2 yeah you know of course in places like new zealand our our emissions profiles a little bit different because we've got so much sheep and cattle right that's right we've and got, so, a, we've so got we, a different uh production uh sort of set don't we yeah we're 50 percent agricultural emissions right? That's right so and that's methane yes so um for us it's an important gas but for other countries they don't produce as much of compared those, to CO2. Sorry, just quickly, of those agricultural emissions, um, and we say that the, a majority of it's methane, what's yeah. the sort of rate, if, if, the, if there is roughly, what's the rough ratio between methane and carbon emissions from that sector? Because there are still some carbon emissions that come from that sector too, right? From oh, machinery? Boy. Or is it, it's not It's not as relative, you know, No, 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 the agricultural sector is, is a very big, CO2 producer as well as methane producer. Right. And I can't give you the numbers, but I can tell you that, um, you know, industrial emissions from milk processing plants like yes. Frontera, yes. where we dry out our milk into right. milk powder, yes. they, they, some of them are still run on coal. Yes. So they burn a lot of fossil fuels. Right. Um, they're very big carbon producers. Right. So it's not just just the methane. It's, yeah. And and why? I mean, we maybe we veer a bit off topic here quickly. <laughs> but why is it that we burn all of our? Uh, you know, we we, dr we dehydrate all of our milk into powder, right? Even for local consumption, yeah. Yep. I mean, I think it's longevity as yeah. much as everything. And yeah, that's right. As, a, as an export product, um, you can do a hell of a heck of a lot with milk, with milk powder, whether you turn it back into milk or you make other other things out of it. Totally. So it's just like one of these big staples. The, the world re relies on whether That's it's right. wheat, corn, or milk powder. Absolutely, yeah. the world seems to enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keeps us, keeps our economy going. So, wow, that's what they're saying at the moment as well, right? Yep. Um, okay, why don't we do a quick, uh, and it might that might be relative again to the solar flare stuff, but oh yeah, we never got back to that, did we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I love it. No, it's good. <laughs> okay, so solar solar flaring. Why yep. is why is a solar flare relevant and important to us here on Earth? Um, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you a bit, Harry, and say it's not that relevant. Right. I mean, we, there are solar cycles. We can see them in in, um, in in the geologic record. We can experience. We've experienced them just not so long ago. So there was the the, the heat output of the sun changes um, on short timescales, like 20 years or 100 years. And many have said, well, is it is it solar activity that's to blame for the warming we've seen? That's usually, usually a go-to sceptic yep. type argument, yep. yes. Yep. And, and what I can say is that, if anything, the sun's activity should have been cooling us a little bit, so so it's not... Oh, a, interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's huge, yeah. Yeah, So and, and so um, over the last um, 100 years, we can work out what has caused the warming we've observed, the one degree of warming. And we know that... Um, the sun's solar output accounts for a really tiny, if if if, if not zero. So this is a bit um, physic mm. physicsy, but we the energy imbalance since we've been putting um, burning fossil fuels since the industrial Re revolution is two point five watts per square meter increase okay. on Earth. Right, and point zero zero five of that is from the sun right. and the rest of it's greenhouse gases. Okay, yeah. and is that uh, a solar flare, is that purely a wave of heat or are we talking about a wave of gas? Are they the same thing? You know, is it what's important when it comes to solar flaring? Is it, is it the distance to the sun? Is that what it's all about? No, I think I think with and again you're getting me into the astronomical field, um, but I think I think you know <laughs> the the sun actually does it, it doesn't have constant output, so at times there are these bursts, these flare, flares that happen that cause these short term changes in the 
in, in the amount of energy coming from the sun. Um, but in terms of the ice ages we were talking about before, that, that happened over tens of thousands of years. That's a distance thing. So that's actually slight changes in the Earth's orbit which put it closer that's or, right. or further away so from the sun. So that helps to explain those, those periods of, of inter, interglacial periods and then and what's the growth period called again? So the glacial period, glacial. Where, it, where you grow ice sheets and yes. the world cools, and the glacial, interglacial, which we're in right now, yes. when the ice sheets melt. So 20,000 years ago, we were in a glacial, the last glacial. We were building. The glaciers were growing. And they would pretty much grown to their biggest, and there was ice all over um, Europe, yes. Canada, North America, um, and sea level was 120 metres lower Right. So these are big, big huge changes. changes to the climate. 120 meters. And humans meters. were around then as well, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah. I mean, that's that's why um, you know when you think of Australia um, and the Aboriginal, the Indigenous people of Australia, um, they got there because the sea level dropped and they were that's able to right. walk across from Asia. That's right. During that during that period, so it's phenomenal. Yeah, but that last ten thousand years is the key for us because it's been unusually stable. The mm. climate. Like our temperature has been on average 14 degrees. The greenhouse gases haven't changed, not until no. 150 years ago. That's we started, right. Yeah. And our population flourished. So why this interglacial? Because we've been around for, for millions of years. And I, I, I think it is just um, the fact that this is an unusually long, stable period of climate that has just been perfect for humans. Exactly, which yep. has contributed to our, our development as a species, uh, which leads us to where we are now, where we face a future that is very, very intriguing. And, and we have, you've just finished uh, writing a, a paper, contributing to a paper, if I'm right, uh, from Perspective, which outlines the perspective of someone looking back from mm -hmm. 2070, yep. uh, back on, on right now and looking at the actions, uh, the playbook we have to try and right. combat um, this this fast changing and energy increasing uh, climate that we have. One one thing that I definitely noticed, and actually one thing I, I suppose I found disturbing, was about the sort of the differences between a high a high emissions future and a low emissions future. The way I see it, one vision keeps us and and when I say us, I mean this our species in the running uh, to sort of maintain uh, our, lev our longevity as a species, um, to maintain uh, time to, to make the changes that we say we need to do. Because in reality, that's what we're in a game of now, right? We're in mm -hmm. a game of time, time to change or time to not change mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What is, a, what is a, a high emissions profile future? What does that look like to us? And, and especially in Antarctica, what does that impact most? Okay. Yeah, so, so we painted two narratives, as you say. Um, a world in which policy fails and we don't get on top of our emissions and we continue at the current rate or, or faster in terms of... So we've put, we're doing about um, 40 billion tonnes per year is the rate of emissions, right? And, you know, to achieve the Paris target, which is the other narrative, the other pathway... Um, we have to reduce all carbon dioxide emissions to zero before the end of the, well before the end of the century. Mm. So that's that's the really challenging low emissions pathway which we've all signed up to in the Paris Agreement, the countries of the world. Um, the other pathway is a total failure of Paris, and and no one no one makes any of 
That's fulfills right. their pledges, right? That's right. So what does that world look like? That's a world that could get as warm as five degrees warmer than um, pre-industrial or four degrees warmer than today right. by the end of the century. Yes. Um, we only went out 50 years to, to 2070. Um, but we'd be well on the way to a very, very warm world that has not been seen um, for more than three million years, so before we were around. That's so right. we're changing the climate in such a way it's warmer than than it, it has ever been in human history. Um, wow. It's the thing, eh? It's, it's, we're playing this game, mm. this game of, of climate chemistry yeah. uh, where we're just, we don't have an idea of what the results will be, but we seem to be quite oblivious or at least non-caring or distracted, I should say, maybe, yep. as to how we're contributing to that game as a species yep. on, on Earth, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, totally. And, um, you know, it really shocks me, but, you know, one of the things I often tell people, and this is relevant to the natural climate cycle, you know, remember I said, you know, we should in the next few hundred to thousand years or, or so be starting to go back into another ice age. It is now the, the latest science from the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they made this statement. They said it is now virtually certain that we will not go back into the next ice age. We're, so we have We're going to create a new trajectory. as a species, yes. have changed the natural cycles of our planet, of our climate. We're putting ourselves into a new climate state. And as you say, what on earth is that going to look like? So one of the ways we, we get a handle on that is to go back in time. There have been times in the deep geological past yes. where the world has been warmer. But getting back to your original question, so if we do go down this pathway, um, the, and what we did in this paper was assess the science, and, and what we can say for sure is we'll be in a warmer world, heading you know, two to three to four degrees warmer. Seasonal sea ice, which forms around Antarctica, um, in winter and disappears in summer, well, largely summer sea ice will be gone. Ice shelves will only just be hanging in there. They'll be on their way out. And so they're, they're the floating parts of the ice sheet, which we understand are really important because as the ice flows out onto the ocean, the Ross Ice Shelf, you've stood on it, I'm sure, Harry. Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> and, and they form these big plugs that hold the ice on land right. from flowing. People often refer to the, the shelves as the cork to the bottle, right? Cork to the bottle, the buttress hold, awesome. holding everything back. And so once we lose the ice shelves, there's a tipping point. And we can lose a huge amount of the West Antarctic ice sheet and what we call the marine-based parts of the ice sheet. That could drive uh, many, many, many metres of sea level rise that we can't stop. That region also becomes so hard to predict in terms of those sort of certainties, yep. you know, because we love to think that we can, we'll be able to, okay, we'll pr just predict it, see yep. how much is going to come out. But it's like, well, when you're dealing with a, a, a flow of ice as big as France, how can you, you know, looking at those interactions becomes yeah. such a grand scale. Sure, sure. It, it just blows me away. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the icebergs, right? Yeah. You know, the, sh you'd shatter that ice shell, break it up. I mean, we'd I mean, have icebergs coming up past uh, Wellington. We would. We would. <laughs> Like we had off Dunedin a few years ago. That's right. Yeah, eh? they, you know, they, shore the they took the sheep out. And what, what happened? Oh, they, the, an iceberg came up off Dunedin. Oh, look, it's quite a few years ago yeah, now, yeah, about, yeah. About, about 13 years ago. And um, we had this sheep called Shrek. That oh, yeah, was quite Shrek, famous. of course. Yeah, and it yeah. hadn't been shaved for quite a while. Hadn't it? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, they, so, so there was a big media Poor star guy, where eh? they, they dragged Shrek out onto the iceberg. And they put him on there. And then they gave him a shave and... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'm gonna have to look that up. 
weird things we do. Um, but but you're right. I mean, what we're in for, you know. They're, they're, so so this is where modelling comes in, and this is like. Um, things we do quite well here in New Zealand. We model ice sheets and how they'll respond. That's one of our sort of research strengths, especially in the, in the Antarctic field, right? It really is. And um, Nick Gollidge, who is two offices down from me, is really leading the way globally with his ice sheet model. And so the tipping point, you know, Nick was the first to actually identify it. And it's, it's, it's quite tricky to say exactly when it will happen, but we certainly know it's because of the loss of the ice shelf. So once they go, you've flicked the switch, you're through the tipping point, and you're going to, you can't stop no. a whole bunch of sea level rise. Um, and it looks like the global temperature threshold is round about the Paris Agreement. So if we can keep global warming to below two degrees above pre-industrial, which we've all signed up to do, yes. um, one of the things we can avoid is catastrophic That's right. melting of the Antarctic ice sheet. It's not quite that simple because there's a lot of complexity. Two degrees global average, well, what does that mean around Antarctica? And there's also and those, exactly there's those differences in warming across the across the whole planet. So, yep. I mean, that, that could be quite cool to touch on quickly from an Earth sciences point of view. Why are there those? Why are there different rates of, of temperature change on on the Earth's surface? Yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, it's quite hard to understand, though. Yeah, right? yeah. No, so fundamentally. Um, the majority of the we talked about the incoming radiation from the sun. The majority of it comes into the tropics to the equator. That's right. And then the Earth circulation attempts to export that heat towards the poles. That's right. And so you get a gradient from the equator to the pole. Obviously, you know yes. it's nice and balmy, thirty degrees at the equator, and at the South Pole it's very cold. That's right. Um, and so. You know, one landmass is also very reflective, right? So, and then there's the, and then there's, you know, we've got land and we've got oceans. Oceans absorb a lot of heat because um, they're dark, um, and and in fact, ninety three percent of all the heat from global warming has actually gone into the ocean. Yes. So, in a way, thank goodness for the ocean. Otherwise, we'd be that's right thirty five degrees warmer. I suppose we're calling it a, a temperature uh, sink. Would, would heat that sink? Be, heat yeah, sink. heat sink. Sorry. Yep. yep. Yeah. A buffer. It's holding back. Like we'd have a Venus type climate without that's without right. the ocean. So that's right. So the ocean really has held back. It's kind of like our greatest sort of force of resistance, isn't it? The ocean. It is. It is. But unfortunately, it's taken up forty um, percent. Oh, sorry, ninety three percent of the. The, the heat, but it's also taken up 25% of the carbon dioxide. That's right. So it, it's acidifying. Yes. And reefs, tropical reefs. So we're getting the bleaching We're getting events, the bleaching the reefs. But because that heat goes into the ocean, then it's up to the ocean currents on how it gets distributed. Yes. And that's affected by continents and the yes. sea floor. And, and so that's why you get these regional differences. Like you get a very warm current that comes up um, – next to uh, America and Europe called the Gulf Stream, up through the Atlantic. Yep. And that current starts off at Antarctica. Wow. Right? So, and so then cold, it goes to the top there. And then it goes yeah. all the way to the top and it goes down again. Wow. Sinks and comes back as a cold current back to Antarctica. And we call it the Global Ocean Conveyor. And, you know, changes that are happening in the polar regions, um, like putting a lot of fresh water into the ocean because we're melting ice sheets, actually affects those currents too. Yes. So you can have changes down around Antarctica that then suddenly turn a switch up up off Europe. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So it's very complex. And so when we say 
two degrees of global warming on average. In fact, it's a much more complicated pattern of warming. That's right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a part of the challenge as well as is, is the communication of, of these changes that we'll see. Yeah. Because uh, we might say that we're expecting some changes and then for certain sets of cultures of people around the world, they will actually interpret maybe different uh, sort of changes than what might be described in general. Mm. And I think that's a challenge that we're going to have to talk about at some point, you know, yep. and, and how we can sort of better prepare communities and people to change their thinking more relative to their local um, sort of ecosystems. How it affects them. Exactly. Yeah, at, at home, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's, you know, there's that whole discussion with the Maori calendar, right? So so that's, you know, regulates or, or tracks when, you know, fish are spawning or... Yes. You know, when when it's a good time for planting exactly. or agriculture and all it's that sort of thing. More aligned to the actual, you're, yeah. you're you're living uh, more aligned with the the processes of the environment. Yeah, and yeah. that's something that you know, it just in reality, given our um, sort of colonial background and how we've developed um, as a nation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that we've really uh, just kind of lost touch with, haven't we? Yeah. we we've forgotten the fact that. We are just another animal uh, in the ecosystem. However, we've become very resource dominant and hungry. I suppose, right? Yeah, and we and believe that's the we key can, difference. And we believe we can control the ecosystem. That's right. We and believe that we can, we can shape control it. the the world through you know? our design and innovation. Yeah, <laughs> it's a grand narrative, isn't it? Who are we, who are we kidding? Who are we I trying know. to kid? Well, this um, is the thing. Um, but the people really believe that to some degree, don't they? I mean, we must, right? That's the way we've been um, doing things for the last while. Why do you think we've Why do you think we've developed into the species that we have? You know, oh, because we're clever and successful. So surely, so why not? Yeah, and and you know, and, and a lot of people will say, well, I'm not worried about climate change because we, humans, we're smart. We'll engineer. You will yeah. use technology exactly. to solve the problem. To figure it out because we always have done. Yeah, that, right? so. Yeah. So why there not? must be a way out. Exactly. Yeah. But when you have the reality of between seven to ten billion people being on the planet in the next sort of hundred years or so, mm. uh, it's it's not quite as easy as saying that, is it? Oh, it's not. And you know, some of these, as you were talking about, you know, it's about time. I mean, time is short. Time is super short. We are. What are we, we basically the way you say the way I interpret it from your from your report there is that, you know, one as I said, one keeps us to the point where we are, are working to redesign within this little bit of time we have left, mm -hmm. and one is simply going to the tipping point and and saying, see saying you later. catch you later yeah. kind of thing. See you later. We'll you know we'll like we'll just try and manage it. But with <laughs> with that scenario, we also painted a bit of a negative picture around. Um, governance and decision-making. So we assumed if we would fail on climate change, we would generally fail around good global governance. That's right. Whether it's the Antarctic Treaty, um, whether it's, you know, whatever issue globally we, we, we work on, health issues, we'll generally, um, you know, we'll generally fail and give up and, and just look after it, go very individualistic and every, every man and woman for themselves. Totally. And so, um, and that may or may not happen. And COVID's a really interesting situation because there was a major disruption that affected us all globally. Um, and, you know, some are arguing, oh, it's very detrimental to global cooperation because, you know, every country is... is circling the wagons and hunkering down and shutting the borders down and looking after their own. So how do you, how do you 
what does this mean for climate change? How do you cooperate globally on those really important goals That's right. that we have to act in 10 years That's right. or we will be on, we will miss the Paris target. That's right. And, you know, you, you could, you know, James Shaw, our, our climate minister, has come out and said, this is going to put us way behind. Other people are saying, well, no, hold on. Um, maybe a selfish nationalistic approach will work if you take the United States out of the equation because they're right. just, you know, they're just yeah, their own, crazy. They're, they're in their own crazy place. Reserve, uh, I'll reserve my words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, we have, like New Zealand, we have this huge opportunity. Um, the government is investing billions of dollars to rebuild after COVID, to rebuild the economy. Globally, we've put in $10 trillion of stimulus into global economies. Now, imagine if we spent that right. Imagine if we spent that on making a sustainable transition. In a way, this is, I mean, they this always is talk the one, this is it. This, exactly. It, you know, and, and this is like, even if you spent a fraction of it on climate change, on energy policy, on, on shifting on, energy, on shifting, and, and, you know, you could solve. So even by taking an individualistic approach, if every country tried to, rebuild their economy in a sustainable way, a low-carbon way. Um, and, you know, we take on board some of the things we learned from COVID that perhaps we don't need to travel as much. Perhaps the simple things in life are, are more are important. Um, so, you know, what scares me, though, is this is a one-off opportunity, and I'm getting on my soapbox a bit here, Harry. But, no, not at all. But um, This is your time. If we don't act now, I don't think we'll get that chance again. It's That's a once-in-a-generation right. spend-up. And so, you know, I, I think it's... it's and it, now, you know, speaking of the devil, this is the time for the spend-up, right? Totally. You know? Yeah, and we can kill two birds with one stone. That's right. We can, we can future-proof the planet to be a more resilient, sustainable place, and we can um, solve the climate problem as well. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting one, though, hey? Can we solve the climate problem, you know? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it more getting to a point where at least we have some respect for the climate system mm. and we actually try to reduce our impact on it so that we can further understand it in its most natural way, you know, mm -hmm. if that's, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. you know, is it, is a matter of, because the, will the climate repair itself? Is it like the ozone layer in, in that respect where it has the capabilities to recover? Will the climate recover? And what does, what does a climate recovery look like? Yeah, it's a really great question. <laughs> the answer is yes. Right. Um, and we know that because we've had some catastrophic climate events in the past, geologic past. Um, we had an event 55 million years ago, like you know, yeah, 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 long time ago. But there was a release of methane into the atmosphere equivalent to what we've done in the last 150 years with global warming. And the climate did recover, but it took, you know, 100,000 years. Um, now, if we stopped, we got all greenhouse gases emissions, sorry, all greenhouse gas emissions to zero by tomorrow, um, we would see an immediate cooling of the atmosphere. Right. But the heat that's in the ocean and the heat that's in the ice, that's, that's going to be there for hundreds, stored. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of years. That, that will set in, so some aspects of the climate, we've already changed and we can't stop right. that train. Yes. But... Um, certainly in terms of surface warming, um, and, we, we, and that's why we know that to b stay below two degrees, this is what we have to do, because we can very easily model the atmosphere and how it responds, and we can see the, the pathway to, yes. to two degrees. 
when we talk about investment and making change, uh, the nitty gritty uh, details, social structure details of how we can create um, this change that we need, what uh, could you just maybe touch on a couple of brief examples of what that actually looks like in our society? Because it's all about energy, right? This is all about energy. We, we release all of this carbon because it's through uh, the use of energy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a cheap source of energy, and that's why we've used it. That's why our population has That's why we flourished. are where we are now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was, the, there was the Industrial Revolution, which was the availability of this cheap energy. Which Through then, that, and that was, oh, that was oil and coal. Coal and gas. Right. And, and that transformed our Victorian industries. Um, into wireless industries, into... Into... It, so it created... Nanotechnologies. The, totally. Yeah. yeah. So it created the health revolution. We all got, became much healthier. Yes. A food revolution. We yes. got better food. And... And, for, and a globalised All of revolution. these key pillars of society that we yep. know it as. And so all that did was um, really support us as a species. And, and so we went from 1 billion people at the beginning of the 20th century to, as you say, 10 billion people by the end of this century. Um, and we're living longer, we're healthier, and, you know, this is. but there's a cost, right? There's a, there because is it's an unsustainable use of Earth's... Resources and why, and uh, I think this is a good little opportunity just to explain quickly why is it a cost? Because we live in a in a circular and and in that respect limited world, right? Mm. Where we receive X amount of energy each year from the sun, which mm. is the source of all of our energy to some degree, right? Yes, ultimately. And so when it, when we say it costs us to get to this point, what did it cost us? It's cost us if we just look purely at a resource point of view, we've depleted the resources we need to sustain our current lifestyles. Right. So whether that's minerals, iron, copper, coal, oil, gas, rare earth elements for batteries, water, simply water is is becoming scarce and unavailable. Absolutely. So all these resources are not finite. It took the planet millions of years to develop them, and we've consumed them in, right. in just 100 or so years. It's a simple equation, you know. That's yeah. what people forget as well. It's like, oh, you know, why, why is, what's happening to all the resources? Well, it's just it's a, it's a game of numbers. The more humans there are, the more consumption of resources. The less resources there are for the other important ecosystems, animals, organisms, etc. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, you hear people say, uh, and, you know, NASA are keen on it. Let's go to let's look explore Mars because we might have wrecked this planet. Um, I certainly don't think um, there's any planet B. I don't think Mars is an option at all. But it does give you a sense of scale of the problem. Is that you know we almost need two Earths now and I to love support. How they see it as a soul. They, they, <laughs> that perspective it's presented as a solution. Yeah. But really, why don't we call that running away from the problem? Because yeah. that's what that is. And going to live in a place that <laughs> is is inhospitable. It's so you, know, you think Antarctica's us. bad. Wait till you go to <laughs> I mean that you know, and they sell it to us like it's the next step. Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's like that's yeah. where our species is going, you know, into intergalactic. And I get it and I understand the attraction to that narrative. But uh, I don't think it's very useful to for us as people on Earth and for the other millions and billions of people that are on Earth too that will have to stay on Earth apart from the, the select few yeah. that might get to go up and, and go live on another planet for a little bit. Yeah, totally. It's it's pipe dreams and stuff. But that's that's our hubris in a way. That's how humans, as we were saying, um, we're smart. We think we're clever. We'll solve it. That's right. And, and, it's, and it's appreciating and being mindful maybe as well because I think it's, 
you know, we can accept, if we accept who we are, I think that's the start of change. Mm. And so maybe if we actually said to ourselves for a second, we're actually quite arrogant as a species, mm. or we quite, you know, quite maybe overly confident to, to take the negative connotations yeah, away, yeah, yeah. you know, but very overly confident in our ability to, to solve every problem we come across. Mm. When, uh, when life is such a, a delicate, precious thing, we, uh, it's so much greater than just solving a problem, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all. There's a. It's a great conversation. Um, these are big questions. Totally. And I do lie awake at night sometimes. Absolutely. You know, the, to, the answer to your question: Can we solve the climate crisis? Gut feeling. Yeah. Is it's hard. I, it's hard. I think we can. Will we? It depends. It depends. It depends. But, but it really does depend on our ability globally to work together as a species beyond the individual. And when we've got some bad actors in this planet. You know, That's you look right. at how some countries are, are behaving and how s- some people behave. And do you have faith in human nature? Yeah. Can we turn the ship around in 10 years? Which is sort of what we have to do. That's right. Um, you know, I don't. Those are the horrible dinner party conversations where you, oh, where you want to be positive. But we need to destigmatize yeah. these ones and and also make it okay to talk about a future that's quite dystopian. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> quite scary in some yeah. respects because yeah. no matter what, we're, we're going to get there and we're going to live through it, no matter what happens. Yeah, we'll have to adapt to whatever it is. If there's less disruption, that's a better future than one in which huge suffering occurs. Yeah, and so one question that I had for you was. So, you know, we live, we're hoping for this idea of global cooperation through the form of usually democratic elected uh, governments, right? Mm. As the people, uh, in your point of view, do we expect too much from the government or do we not expect enough of the government to take charge? Because if this democratic process is what we believe to be the, the, best, the best solution to our societal problems... Mm. Uh, do we have do we have too much expectations on it? Does it have to come more from us, and and we have to all learn more about the problem and become more aware of the problem, or should you know? Sometimes I just feel like saying to government, <laughs> as if I could do that. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like saying to government, just put your foot down mm-hmm. and say no, say mm-hmm. nada. And yeah. I get it. You know the the people that um, or the 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 entities that bring in income for the government, et cetera, et cetera, where there's these sort of slight collusions, mm. Um, mm. They're, the, they're the ones that drive that whole process. Mm. So what are we what are we going to really ask from the government? You know, especially this coming up, we've got an election got coming an election up. election coming up. What, are we, what do we honestly want from the government? A really great question. And, I, you know, I'm not the single expert on any of this, but my opinion is, and I think I sh- it's shared by a number of people I talk with, is it's a it's a bottom up and it's a top down process. We can't do it without both. That's right. Um, there are examples of good governance in the world, and New Zealand is a classic example under this Labor Greens led government with the Carbon Zero Act, um, and the way they've dealt with COVID compared to any other country in the world. Then there are some classic examples of very bad governance, and we don't need to go far to That's right. point one out. Just yeah. look at the top list of infections, <laughs> hey? Yeah, totally. Um, so, I, I, but what COVID shows us is that it doesn't matter really what sort of, whether you're a communist country or a democratic country, when there is a global threat, we actually can move very quickly if we want to. That's absolutely true. And, and so I think we should demand that of That's our right. politicians. We give them that, um, you know, they've got to act legally and in a, in a humane way, um, but 
this is a crisis. This is a climate emergency. And it's the numbers of deaths will make COVID look absolutely minimal. That's right. Yeah, the numbers of deaths from climate change are massive. The threat to humanity is massive. It's still the world's biggest existential threat. The threat, threat to quality of life. A threat to yeah, just just everything. So life. Yeah, life. The threat to life. So um, absolutely, we we have to demand good governance and good leadership. The the problem we have is many governments only function on an electoral cycle when it comes to decision making, and we need governments. It's not like COVID. This is a slower creeping thing that's happening over 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 decades. Yes. And we need governments that will say, and this is the flaw with with our electoral system, is that we need governments that will put in place policy like the Carbon Zero Act that will be around a long Continuous time policy. after they have gone and there's another crowd in the... In, are, in, are there any examples of that, you know, anywhere? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, because if that's a, a very... To me, very logical and fair answer, right? Yeah. Why don't we make that happen? Well, I think to a certain extent we did demand it out of this Labour government. We said we want you to future-proof New Zealand to climate change. We want to do our bit to achieve the Paris target. And we gave the government the mandate to do that. I mean, you can, well before you were born, Harry, and sort of almost before I was born, you can go back to this chap called Robert Muldoon, who was a... Muldoon. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of him, believe it or not. <laughs> Most people still have the scars. Yeah. Um, anyway, Rob Muldoon brought in a superannuation scheme right. that subsequent governments have not really changed. I mean, we now have this big superannuation fund to fund it because of all the boomers and... You know, all, the, all that our, good stuff. All the old people in our population, yeah. you know, that we have to look after. That's right. And, and so that was very far-sighted policy that there was a cost. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think we can do it. I mean, I know we can do it. And I think New Zealand, and we always say this, is the little country that could. I mean, it will show the way. I think we will be global leaders on this. Um, but, you know, again... The inertia is massive in places like India and and the United States, and they have to buy in. That's right. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter what little old New Zealand That's does, right. except we'll, we'll, we'll be on the moral high ground and the right side of history. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean... It's a nice place to be, I suppose. Yeah. But that's the thing. And it's what I mean. I mean, I really do see this as the challenge. I mean, whether you believe in climate change or not, things are changing. You know, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Whether you believe on, on what causes it or not, it, we, it's going to be a different world in 2070, right? So, you know, and I guess what I try to remind people of is that this affects every one of us while we're still here. You know, people continuously try to sort of write it off as a as a longer term problem further down the track. But it's it's more trying to look at your life for what it is quickly, which is which is the next fifty years to some degree for a lot of us. Yeah. And and we want that, you know, if we want to live a good life, which is the whole drive of our consumption half of the time mm. anyway, mm. you know, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, how to live a good life we're sold that it's all about consumption and, and doing all of these crazy things or big things, whatever. Yeah. Um, but in reality, if we want to have a, a healthy planet uh, where the ecosystems produce all of the basic needs that we that we absolutely need just to sustain life, mm. um, I just, it just blows me away, hey, that we have this real inability to foresee the future um, that's coming, you know? I know. And it's, uh, you know, as a young person, it's, it's challenging. I think it's yeah. really challenging to sort of 
to see, you know, and it's uh, disheartening a lot of the time. So, I mean, would you have any any sort of uh, words of wisdom at all, just <laughs> for for people that um, you know are worried about the future? And they'd they'd love some hope, kind of thing. Is you know, what gives you hope uh, in in your field and, and your studies? Uh, you know, what what has it been that yeah. that drives you in that respect? Well, it's a really interesting question. It's one I struggle with because I always want to leave a hopeful message, even though so much of the science is sh- painting a very dark picture. I think it's a story that we also need to talk about as well. Like yeah. being a scientist at the moment is uh, is tricky. Yeah, you're finding out some pretty dark answers sometimes. Yeah. And, and so I've been asked this question a number of times, and recently, the th- greatest thing that gives me hope are, are you people, the young yeah. people. I, I'm, a, I'm inspired by you. I, you're very different. You're a, you're a um, social media generation, and, and I've, you know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur and grappling with that sort of stuff, but it's an effective <laughs> way of, of acting and communicating. That's right. That's um, right. I think the climate action strikes, um, the young people... Um, the Greta Thunbergs, um, they give me massive hope. Um, unfortunately, COVID has distracted us because at the end of last year, there was a real groundswell of, of, of social and, you know, people power. Yeah, exactly. Um, on climate. A recognition of things to some degree. Yep. And it wasn't just climate. It was the Me Too movement. It's Black Lives Matter. Um, there was the social disobedience in Chile. People are just saying... You know, people are standing up and speaking and saying our world has to be a better place. It's the growth of consciousness, I suppose, too. Yeah, you know, and this being disparity aware. of the rich and the haves and the have-nots. And we won't put up with that no. because there's not enough rich people to keep this model going. That's right. Um, so I do have hope that with some good governance and inspiring leadership and, you know, who knows who the next president of the United States will be, um, there are countries leading the way. Um, so, so I think we have every reason to be hopeful. And the other thing I would say is it's not Paris or bust if we don't make the two degrees target. Every, every bit matters. Every bit matters. So even if we're a bit above, three degrees warmer or two and a half degrees warmer. Is which a, is most likely, let's Which be is honest. most likely is a hell of a lot better than five degrees warmer. So don't take our foot off the gas, so to speak. You yes. know, keep... That's, Keep the effort on and don't think all is lost just because we don't, yeah, we don't get the Paris target. I think yeah. people, uh, you know, people get scared that uh, action, on, action on these things like, like uh, reducing the amount of CO2 in the air means taking away from uh, these, these uh, luxury sort of things that we associate with our lifestyles now, right. like being able to go, for, being able to fly to a different place in the country, being yeah. able to fly to a different place in the world. Uh, eating meat is obviously is a, is a classic one for some countries where eating meat is very associated with your your quality of life, things like yeah, that. For sure. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be like that, right? Like we don't have to be thinking, oh well, okay, uh, the future. You know, they always say, oh, we're going to go back into the dark ages mm-hmm. then if we do that. But that's just so not true, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, what do we have to do? Like, uh, what are some what are some of the more hopeful uh, sort of redesigns in in our society that that are effective. Yeah. You know, what is it? Is it is it I mean, we all know the classic planting trees is simply yeah. the, the greatest defense we have, the highest form of technology <laughs> that we have to to combat climate change at the mm. moment. You know, and is it obviously it's not as simple as just planting lots of trees, but yeah. but it's super important, right? Every bit of um, every bit of lawn that, that 
could be planted with a tree, uh, that would make a huge difference ultimately. Yeah. And especially uh, also another thing like looking after the the great forest of the ocean, which sucks in how much it's most of the most of the carbon, right? Anyway, yeah, it's a it's a big chunk. Um, yeah. I mean, the terrestrial biosphere and the ocean, I think, are roughly the same when it comes to photosynthesis. Um, Yeah, so getting back to your question about um, what can we do, trees, yes, planting trees. You know, trees really buy us time more than anything. I mean, they're definitely, um, you know, it's definitely part of the equation. Um, And the more trees we can plant buys us time while we figure out ways to transform our our economies like transform our transportation sectors tr- get electrify cars trucks even airplanes hybrid airplanes are now being being developed That's so right. so there are so many um, available technologies now out there that if with the right incentive we could be the problem is there are you know the the oil, oil industry is a very powerful industry yes it's slowing that change down yes. But it could happen a lot, lot faster. Um, and so, you know, New Zealand's plan is to plant trees, for sure, and then to electrify as much as we can our transportation fleet, um, to reduce our industrial emissions as much as we can, and that would be Frontera using renewable energy rather yeah. than burning coal, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, this university runs on gas. Yes. You know, it will take a while to absolutely to sort that out. Um and then, of course, the cows and sheep are a bit of a problem for us because, you know, that's unless our economy changes and we're less exactly. dependent. But, but there's totally achievable um, solutions there right now. And, um, you know... We, Suppose we, maybe we need to embrace them more. Is that the right word, embrace them? I think so, you know? and, and not do as much. I mean, COVID showed us that, yeah, it's, it's nice to travel to the Pacific Islands or to travel overseas, but we don't have to do it four times a year. No. We could do it once a year. Yes. We, we just keep our lives a bit simpler. They can be just as fulfilling. In fact, they can be better. You know, I know a lot of people who said, boy, I've really enjoyed just getting to know Wellington and New Zealand. I've enjoyed cooking um, instead of going out for dinner all the time. And, you know, totally. it's, um, yeah. I, I just think there are so many co-benefits, whether it's saving the climate or, or improving our our own lifestyles. Um, so I do feel very positive, and I know that these options are there. Yes. And we just need leadership to make That's sure right. we, we use them. Yeah. What, uh, 2070, if you were to describe someone uh, on the street, what 2070 looks like and feels like, <laughs> how would you go about doing that just quickly? I'm, in, I'm just quite intrigued. Um, I would say, hey, Harry, um, I'm, I'm talking to you from 2070. Yeah, perfect. Know, through the, through the... Oh, how's it going, Tim? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. Um, what's it like back in, you know, 2020? Yes. It's nice, it's yeah. cool, cool today. Yeah, it's cool today. All right, <laughs> yeah. nice. So I'd say, look, at Harry, it wasn't as bad as we thought. Um, in fact, it was inspiring. Um, following COVID-19, um, the world really realised it could act on big global issues and it's got its act together on climate change. Mm. Um, they got rid of President Trump and a few of the other bad eggs, and they got really progressive politicians that led and worked um, to transform economies. And not only um, did they rebuild economies, um, there were all these new technologies and cool things that we developed. You know, we're we're now flying in in solar planes. Can you imagine that? Hydrogen hybrids. Hydrogen hybrids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. 
yeah, we, we, you know, it got a little bit warm. It got a bit touch and go there. And then... And things got a little bit warmer as well before they got cooler, yeah, so metaphorically speaking, right? For sure. And, and, and you know, that, though, all that technology, we, the sp- your science fiction stuff never played out. You know, we weren't able to um, have these big scrubbers that sucked CO2 out of the atmosphere. We just had to stop putting it Mars there. didn't actually work out. Yeah, well, we got to the moon and then, you know... Yeah. <laughs> It turned out to be a bit trickier than we it's thought. Pretty, yeah. dark, pretty dark and like not very fun. <laughs> yeah, one thing I say about um, climate change as well, just quickly, is that I see it as, you know, if we take action now, I like to put it, because I think visually helps a lot of people, sort of trying to imagine things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just see with less action, the more years that go by, it just means a less colourful world to some degree. You know, we yeah. we just lose a lot of the things that the that the Earth say has has worked so long and so hard mm. to create this what was this ultimate oasis and beautiful place where we did sort of thrive. Mm. You know, and and I think as if people can imagine it that way, they can kind of reverse engineer the solution as such, where it's like, okay, no, I want to keep the world more mm. colourful. I want to keep mm. it as beautiful as possible because that's what makes me feel good, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Yeah. I mean, like I said, w- what I like about these these types of projects and this podcast in particular is that I think knowledge and awareness is always the way forward and education on that because reality is most people um, simply just don't know as much about why this is even a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think we've got a long way to go in, in actually communicating these things. Yeah, I think you're right. I think communication is absolutely key and you know as a scientist that's really where um as i get a bit older and you know a bit more concerned about things i i I really think that's where i want to put my effort and work with people like you to get to get the message across um i i think we have to be realistic a lot of people are just surviving on this planet you know they're it's hand to mouth they don't have jobs or they you know live in very poor countries and so um it's all about just putting food on the table and having shelter and looking after children. And then we go and say, well, yes, and you need to save the climate. They, it, it, yeah, It's and too much. It's and then they much. shut it out. Yeah, and they shut it out. And um, to a certain extent in the, in the developing world, it, you know, COVID has done that to us. We've all gone, oh, my God, there's, you know, who cares about the climate? climate? I just don't want to get COVID. And, um, totally. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but that's okay. Not everyone's going to be equipped we're able to deal with this problem. That's and right. That, that's why we need the leadership. That's right. And yeah. that's, I suppose, where government really has its has its value. Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's interesting times. <laughs> Gosh, it's interesting times. We, we, we've got a long way from Antarctica. To... <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But I li- that's what I like. <laughs> we, could, we could touch back on it's, it if yeah, you like. It's just a, Antarctica is just an excuse to have a conversation. Basically. What's, yeah. uh, okay, well, this is, I quite like this question because I think this is quite important too. Um, how do we think uh, that resource use will change in Antarctica um, mm. by the time 2070 comes around? What's Antarctica going to possibly look like in 2070? That's, that's different to how it looks now. Well, if we have a, a total breakdown in global sort of governance and, you know, treaty breaks down, yep. we, the Paris Agreement fails, it's every, 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 you know, every country for themselves. Basically. Yeah, it, you know, it becomes the Wild West. And, um, yeah, in our, in our bad scenario, in our, in, our, um, in our high emissions scenario, yeah, Antarctic, the treaty falls apart, the um, 
the um, convention around mineral exploration falls apart um, and people start going in there. Are there minerals down there? What's, oh, yeah, truckloads. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So truckloads. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a treasure trove of, of not uh, resources and knowledge. Think of it um, as in Australia with ice on top. Right. So that presents That's, problems. Wow. Yeah, that presents problems. When you put it that way. Yeah, there's a huge amount of minerals. It's, it's a very similar. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an old craton, and it's um, you know be full of minerals, rare earth elements. We know there are places that are just rich. Um, as far as petroleum goes, it's got all the elements for producing coal, oil, and gas as well. That's um, right. Not so much in the Ross Sea, actually. We did a bit of a, a, a study on that. Because um, we've been drilling on the Ross Sea, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to hit hydrocarbons. You know, we didn't want to be responsible for the first oil discovery. Imagine! <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh gosh, that would be so unfortunate. Hey, yeah, oops. we're down there doing some climate science, yeah, and you wouldn't believe what we found. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it turns out that um, the Ross Sea is not so prospective, but other parts of the continental margin are. So yeah, I mean. Uh, it's, it, it presents a challenge in, in just the how we maintain the integrity of the treaty. Yes, it, it has been a very successful treaty. Um, the cynics would say, you know, countries only join it so that they'll be part of the club when it comes to divvy it up. Um, it, strategy is another and, and, word for that. Yep, and to a certain extent that's probably true. Yeah, They want to be decision makers over, right. an, over Antarctica and involved in that. Um, but so far, the treaty has worked incredibly well as keeping Antarctica as a place of science and peace. That's right. Um, that's, and, and that's a role model for us, Antarctica in general. It, it is. And, and, you know, if, if, if we can, yeah, it's an absolute role model. Maybe you can argue the stakes aren't as high. Mm. We don't live there. That's right. Um, do you think one day we ever would live there? Um, I would hope not. Yeah, but obviously, if it gets um, exposed, exposed and warmer, I mean, there are some countries that believe they have a right to that's live right. there, and some and of the South American to their countries. Set. Yeah, they, they, Antarctica is part of their cultural heritage. history and heritage. But um, no, I would hope Antarctica remains as pristine as possible, as always kept a, a, a place for conservation. Yeah, um, and I think luckily, and that's where. Every time we're doing a conversation like this or even just adding to Antarctica's story and brand, if you like, I think we actually help contribute to that because we help contribute to, to holding it up in this, this light of uh, an incredible place that, you know, just really does deserve to be protected, you know, mm. because of its, its incredible things like just its, its ecosystems, its, its residents, all of these things, um, mm. what it does for us on a global scale. Mm. You know, mm. it's a trophy. It's a trophy of the earth, Antarctica. And I reckon it'd be pretty cool if we can prove to ourselves, you know, something we haven't trashed. Exactly. You know, we didn't trash Antarctica. I mean, we're already, we've got plastic in the ocean and we're, there are invasive species getting in there. That's right. But it's still pristine. And we can keep it. We, it's, there was, actually, there was a paper out in, in Nature last couple of weeks ago um, which talked about Antarctic wilderness and biodiversity and that there was still time. So, yep. Here's to that. Here's to that. Eh? Yeah. Oh, how long have we clocked up? <laughs> Probably an hour. Oh, gosh. <laughs> gosh. Time flies. Oh, man. <laughs> but these, honestly, I think these are the conversations that really matter too. As much as uh, let's just chat about science is mm. good, 
Mm. If you don't have people being really critical of these big ideas, mm. how can they really contribute in their own way to the argument, I feel? Mm. You know? Mm. I think... Uh, it's really good to to discuss these things that we are so afraid of otherwise discussing. You know, I feel like because we're I'm afraid of talking about this kind of grim possible future, it makes us really not want to talk about it. And mm. that's part of the problem, right? Like yeah. I feel that's a huge part of the problem. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, as you were talking about, there is reasons to be hopeful and the and you talk about it. Um, you have the conversation. And I think we can still empower and engage people. Exactly. It's, yeah, you just got to be really careful we don't alienate and make scare people. Because, you know, I mean, if, if something's scary, then we'd rather think about something else. Exactly. So go to our happy place. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. Tim, yeah, thank you so much once again. Uh, I've, really, I've really enjoyed our chat. And let's see what happens, eh? Yeah. Yep. We'll both get to uh, watch it unfold. You, we will, and you'll and contribute. And you've got a lot. Yeah, it's up to you, mate. Your generation. I love that. Uh, <laughs> it's up to you. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> no pressure. But it's a reality. No pressure. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for the chat. All right, Tim. Well, till next time. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to learn and listen. More information about the episode and guest can be found in the show notes for those interested. And please leave a review if you've enjoyed tuning in. Subscribe to Antarctica Unfrozen wherever you listen to keep up to date on new guests, topics and ideas of the icy environmental kind. This season was made possible thanks to Pride Conservation, a boutique social enterprise from Aotearoa, New Zealand, on a mission to contribute to the conservation movement both here at home and globally. For more information and to help be part of the movement, check out www.prideconservation.co.nz. That's it for now. I'm Sinead Monty. And I'm Harry Seeger. And, and until, until next, next time, time stay cool. Stay cool.